Well, good morning, Genesis. Good to have you all with us today. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn to James, James chapter 5, the final chapter in the book of James. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, it's page 849 if you want to turn and uh, follow along with us. Anyone here amazed at how quickly time flies by? I mean, any just kind of blown away by this? Like, I, I, it, it just never ceases to amaze me you know, just to look back at another hurdle crossed or another season crossed. Uh, to see where we are. I mean, the, this, this is true for you. Uh, if you're getting ready to finish up middle school, uh, maybe this year, or high school, uh, maybe you're graduating in the spring or college, uh, I, I'm sure you're ready to be done, but I promise you that there'll come a moment at, at some point uh, between now and maybe on graduation day where you'll just think to yourself, I, it just flew by. Like, I, I mean, it's hard to believe that, it, that it's already or finished. Or, or, or maybe you have celebrated a, a special uh, kind of anniversary at work and uh, maybe it's uh, your first year or you've been there for a, a, a season or now or something. But, but again, uh, sometimes when we have those anniversary sort of moments, we're reminded, you know, it, just, it seems like I just started here. Or, uh, you know, maybe 2018 or, or even 2019 is a, uh, is a special uh, marriage celebration for you. Maybe, maybe your first year, your first year passed. And, and so, again, it, it, maybe your wedding seems like it was just yesterday uh, or something. And if you have kids, you know how time flies by. And uh, it's so true, you know, what they say, that the days are long, you know, the years are short, right? Because it just keeps going and time flies by. I have found that being a pastor makes the time fly by. And, and here's why. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'll already be thinking about next Sunday, all right? It, it just, we are always looking ahead uh, to Sundays. In fact, writing a message is a lot like writing a term paper, all right, and little did I realize that when I said yes to ministry that I would write a term paper every week, most every week for the rest of my life, you know, and, uh, but again, it just kind of contributes to time flying by. In fact, our, our Genesis staff, we uh, spent some time, some intentional time together a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, just kind of planning and dreaming and thinking about the next 25 years of Genesis and maybe what the Lord wants to do uh, even through our church. It's crazy to think how quickly that time will pass. And uh, if you think about it, you know, it, Thanksgiving seems like forever ago, right? I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks, but it seems like so long ago. And some of you can't wait for Christmas to be over because you're already looking ahead to starting a brand new year. I, I think part of the reason why time seems to fly by so much is because we're always looking ahead to the next thing. We've always got something else on our minds. There's another item on the calendar uh, that we're looking towards. But, but is that true of any of you? Like, uh, I mean, have you ever found yourself in, in, in maybe your current job all right, but you're, you're thinking about uh, another more fulfilling job that, that may come open. Or uh, we don't just do it with uh, jobs, we do it with, with cars, we do it with clothes, we do it with homes. You know, again, we're always thinking about the next things. We do it in our relationships. I mean, if you just came out of a, of a dating relationship, maybe you're already thinking about the next one and where to meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or something. And, and again, if you're graduating this year, all right, maybe graduating from college or something, finishing up a degree. Well, you know that, okay, there's something on the other side of that. And so you're, you're already thinking, you should be thinking about those things. It's a natural part of life. I mean, all of us in, in different ways and in different seasons and in different environments, we wrestle with this question on a regular basis, this question of what's next, right? Like what's next for me? What, what's on the other side? What is the future look like? Well, if you're new with us today, we're finishing up a series today that we've been in the last six weeks, a series in the, the New Testament book of James, a series that we've called Against the Grain. And remember, uh, James is writing to Christians who were suffering from persecution. 
All right, they were going through some really difficult times. They'd been forced from their homes, and they were now living in unfamiliar places just trying to survive. And James writes these words to them uh, to show them how to live, all right, to encourage them to keep their heads up, all right, to not lose the faith. Uh, and to keep going. And as we're going to see in this closing chapter today, though, he also has some warnings, right? Uh, there's some guidance, if you would, for, for, from him uh, for these men and women and families as, as he realizes that they too are thinking about tomorrow, right? And in fact, probably more appropriately, worrying about tomorrow, about the future, trying to figure out what's next. And so we're going to finish up with chapter 5 today. I got to say, I wish we had a little bit more time because it's a little bold to think that we can get through the whole chapter today. So I'm going to do my best. We're going to jump around a bunch and just hit some high points if you bear with me. But James chapter 5, and you'll notice right away that he's addressing a particular group of people. And so look at what he says and who he's talking to in this first verse here, James chapter 5 verse 1. He says, now listen, you rich people, Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now, it should be pointed out that James isn't talking directly to Christ followers here, all right? He's not talking to followers of Jesus, but instead he's referring to the wealthy. He's referring to the powerful people that are living around these Christians, those who weren't following Christ. Now, if you're wondering, why is he so grouchy, really, towards rich people? Well, this isn't the first time that James has some sharp words for the rich. Like more than once uh, through this uh, book of the Bible, James has warned these Christians about their responsibility in caring for the poor and for the hurting around them. He warned them against playing favorites, all right, with the rich. And right now, he takes off the gloves, if you would, and he's calling out those who are getting rich at the expense of those who can't defend themselves. Verse 2, he says, Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, in the ancient world, all right, the wealth of someone was identified by the type of food they ate, the types of clothes they wore, and by things like silver and gold. Not much has changed, right? You know, even 2,000 years later. But remember, see here that James reminds us that these things are temporary, that food rots. You know, your, your clothes wear out, that interestingly enough, metals like silver and gold don't tend to corrode. But even here, James is illustrating that those things that seem indestructible in this world will not last beyond life in this world as we know it. And so there's no way around it. These are pretty harsh words. All right, again, harsh words by James. And the message for these Christians then, and for us must be, be careful about what you give your life to. All right, be, be careful about the types of things you put your, your hope in. Be, be careful about what defines you, what drives you. More specifically for us today, I think James would say, don't waste your life chasing the American dream, all right? Chasing after one more thing or the, the next thing, if you would. Sam Alberry is a, a pastor and a writer, and here, here's what he says about this tendency in our Western world today. He says, you know, we live in a society where the accumulation of things is seen as good in its own right. Uh, amassing money and possessions is commended. It's one of the ways that we as a culture measure success in life. The more you have, the better you've done. The, the things we have are a, a matter of pride 
to so many of us. I, I don't know if you've seen this going around the internet or not, but uh, there's a, a story, a, a short story that was featured on Good Morning America this past week. It, it illustrates the impact that things like material items and possessions have on us. Check this out. Yeah, this was a sharp move. This was very compelling. Payless hired an ad agency to bring together Los Angeles fashion influencers to see if they would buy their very affordable shoes if they thought they were from a high-end brand. Watch. Very, you know, European, very, you know, upscale. For me to experience this as an Italian designer is amazing. I could definitely wear this to, like, a Met Gala dinner. They're willing to pay top dollar. I would pay 400 500 yeah. People are going to be like, <gasps> Where'd you get those? Those are amazing. The only problem, this posh shoe boutique, Palessi. Welcome to Palessi. Doesn't exist. It's really a provocative social experiment by discount shoemaker Payless. We built a fake luxury store, filled it with avant-garde sculptures and displays. We even hired a full team of sales associates. Then we filled all the shelves with Payless shoes. This was a record opening store for all of Payless history. Turns out it was so convincing that these online fashion influencers were sold on the craftsmanship and looks of these hot shoes. They're elegant, sophisticated. I just think it's so classy. And we're shocked when they learned that shoes they would pay as much as $645 for, like these, were really just 35 bucks. These are actually from Payless. You've got to be kidding me. Shut up. Are you serious? The unsuspecting shoppers received full refunds, plus got the shoes for free. Payless tells us they simply wanted to change people's perceptions about what luxury should cost. Isn't it so true? Isn't that great? Isn't that so clever? And I've been wondering if I could wear these shoes to my next Met Gala. You know, I've been, I'm thinking about it. I think we've got one coming up this week. But, uh, but anyway, I mean, it's just so true. I mean, again, just the lure of these things and what they they do to us, but, but, but you know what? We, we all live under this pressure. I mean, you know, we, we, we do. I mean, this, profesh, uh, excuse me, this pressure to perform, you know, or always thinking about one more thing, or how do I look, or what are others thinking of me, or what's next, or maybe, maybe this next upgrade will finally satisfy me. But the, but the truth is, and here's what James has been talking about all the way through his letter here, the truth is that nothing apart from Christ will ever completely satisfy. Uh, nothing will. Nothing satisfies as Christ will. And, and, and anything else that promises to do for us what only God can do, it's, it's a phony. I mean, it, it's nothing but, but counterfeit. Well, his tough words continue. James 5, he says, uh, or verse 5, he says, you, you, you have lives on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. He says, you have fattened yourselves in the day of, of slaughter. Now, now think about it like this. How, how many of you enjoyed uh, a piece of delicious turkey uh, for Thanksgiving? A anybody here? I, I love a nice, uh, juicy uh, piece of turkey uh, for Thanksgiving. But I do remember the one year that uh, we went to Jenny's family or my in-laws, and they pulled a fast one, and they didn't have turkey, but instead they had ham loaf, all right? Ham loaf, right? I don't know if anybody's ever had this. Don't, don't do that, right? Don't, don't ever do that. Like, ham is fine on its own. It doesn't need to be loafed, right? And, and any protein, for the matter, in my opinion, doesn't need to be loafed. Let's reserve loafing for breads and, and, and such. But uh, anyways, if, if you had turkey on Thanksgiving, think about it like this. You know there's a really good chance that that turkey was raised on a farm and it was raised to be fat. Again, it was so well fed, all right, that it was fattened and ready to be juicy just in time for the Thanksgiving meal. Like, what a life, right? What a life for, for the turkey. 
turkey, like eat all day long, every day, and then die. And so is it any wonder that James says, hey, here's what we do with possessions. Here's, here's the temptation with things like money. He says, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. See, here's what James knows, that these Christians he's writing to uh, were the victims of some really harsh practices, all right, wherever they were living right now, and oppression at the hands of the wealthy and the powerful around them. And so there's some encouragement in these words as he is saying, hey, there's a day of justice that will ultimately come where one day justice will be served. But, but James, at the same time, he's also warning his friends because he realizes that we're all capable of falling into this same trap, you know, looking for meaning and purpose in the things that we accumulate. And so it's like James is saying, hey, when it comes to what you do with your life, don't be a turkey, right? I mean, that's, that's basically what he's saying here. And, and well, what God says through James, I think he just pleads with you and me today as well. And it's in your notes if, if you're taking notes today. And it's just simply this, just stop chasing the next thing. I think what God has for us today is just this, please, please stop chasing the next thing, the wrong things. Like, don't waste your life looking for significance and purpose and all the wrong things, like, you know, just living for the next job or a higher paying job or a greater retirement account or, you know, a bigger house or your first house or a new car, a new phone or some sweet new shoes, whatever it may be, like, what, what's the next thing in your life that you find yourself chasing after? Because let's be honest, we, we all have something. We all have those things that we're chasing and and it isn't that any of these things are bad. Like, is it wrong to save for the future? No. Uh, is it wrong to take a promotion, you know, for a better job and for more money? No. Is it wrong to, to purchase or even desire a bigger home? No. God, God isn't against the things that we acquire, right? Uh, he isn't against the, the money that we make. He's not a, against Christians having money. He just doesn't want money to own you or have you. So there's a difference. Does, and I think part of what we have to ask ourselves is, do these things have me? Am I seeking them for all the wrong reasons? And so again, James warns against the dangers that come from putting too much of your faith in things like money and stuff instead of trusting God. And I think I'm sure that James is thinking a little also about his brother Jesus and what Jesus had to say about accumulations and possessions. I mean, it was Jesus that talked about, you know, for us as followers of Christ and really now the church today that we have a responsibility we have a responsibility in this world, especially in the American church, to steward our resources, to help the poor, uh, to help people find their way back to God. And one of the ways that we counter greed and one of the ways that we work against uh, temptation to put too much faith in money is to be generous, is to grow in generosity. That's why we talk about giving in generosity here at Genesis Church. It's not about Genesis getting more of your money but it's about giving the Lord more of our heart and, and our lives and, and trusting Him for, for more. It's one of the reasons why we do things like love your neighbor. You know, again, it's an opportunity for, for each of us uh, to practice generosity for the sake of helping poor in our community, but, but we can help, we can do more together. I mean, the beautiful thing about the church doing it together is we can accomplish more together. And even with the Christmas offering that we're going to take this year, it's one more opportunity uh, to help others, but to also demonstrate that there's nothing greater than the hope of of Jesus Christ in this world, that we want to be a part of what God is doing, not only here locally, but around the world as well. And so if you find yourself right now searching for meaning, if, if maybe even this morning there's even some conviction in your own life of looking for significance in something other than your relationship with Jesus, ask God to help you. Man, pray that prayer today. Ask the Lord, will you help me? Will you help me break this? 
And again, we're all chasing after something. Ask him to show you what you need to do to overcome your tendency to chase after these other things because again, Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy. He's the only thing that matters and that's what James believed for his friends. That's what was most important to him and that's what is true and most important for us today. He goes on to address another what's next sort of question. Look at verse seven. James says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And so if he was talking more about the rich and wealthy who were far from the Lord, he's now speaking directly again to his friends, to these followers of Christ that are struggling. He says, be patient. Now, remember way back to week one in this series, we talked about perseverance and how perseverance is this consistent theme all the way through James. Again, he opens with it in chapter one. He's back at it here again in this fifth chapter. And with these words in verse seven, again, James makes it clear that if we're going to preoccupy ourselves with what's next or what's coming, all right, James says, I want you to have your mind set on. I want you to have your eyes ready, your heart ready for the day that Jesus is going to return because we tend to lose sight of this, all right? I, I think just in the busyness and the commotion of life, we forget this, you know, and, and we forget whether life is going well or it's all caving in. But to be clear, Jesus predicted. He predicted that he would die for the sins of the world, that he would be raised to life. But not only that, he also predicted a day when he would return to the earth and on that day, he will judge the living and the dead, and he will restore creation back to the way that it was intended to be. And you need to know that on that day that Christ returns, every person, every person will stand before the Lord and will be judged on the basis of what they did with Jesus Christ for every single one of us. And, and so that just means that for those who have put their faith, if you've put your faith and your trust and your hope in Christ, Eternity in Christ will be your reward with the Lord in heaven one day. But for those, for those who choose to reject Christ, all right, and not put their trust and their faith in Him, it will mean eternal separation from God in hell. And you won't get to choose that day. I mean, what we have to remember is you, you don't get to make up your mind finally that day when Christ returns. And so how you respond to Jesus now while you're living, while you're breathing matters. And so you're either, you're either trusting Christ with your life or you're not. You're either following Jesus or you're not. There's, there's no in-between. There's no middle ground, you know, with which we can hope to make up our mind at some point in the future. And so when it comes to the future then and asking what's next, James, he challenges us, quit, quit chasing the next thing, quit chasing the wrong things, whatever they may be, because he wants us to remember that something bigger and better is coming, that Jesus is going to return. In fact, he hints at it twice in, in verses seven and eight. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. He goes on, he says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. He says, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And so James reminds us of the importance of keeping that important day on your radar. But in the meantime, he's already emphasized, again, if you think about these last chapters we've been looking at, he's emphasized the importance of, of obedience, of daily obedience to the Lord and living out your faith for others to see. And to drive home this point now, James uses the example of a farmer who is patiently waiting for his crops to grow. And when you think about it, there are some things 
that a farmer can do to help with the growing process, things like tilling the earth and planting the seeds and managing the weeds. But when it comes down to it, the farmer has to wait patiently for the rains to come so that he can eventually collect the harvest. But again, in the meantime, there are things for the farmer to do to stay on task to keep us focused on the right things. There's work, if you would, to be done between the planting season and ultimately the harvest. Think, look at it like this. Uh, I took my, my, Jenny and I took our kids, our three kids, uh, a couple of weeks back to play laser tag. All right, how, how, any, anybody here played laser tag with your kids? And even if it wasn't with your kids, don't be, don't be ashamed. It's awesome, right? I mean, laser tag is really, really cool. And so we met up with uh, some other friends of ours. And so the four of us, our five, and, the, and therefore we were a team of nine, all right? And uh, we went and played laser tag together. And what they do is, you know, you, you kind of gather up with your team. And so it was the nine of us. And then there were like nine or ten uh, maybe middle schoolers. I mean, they might have been late elementary middle schoolers, but they were cocky, right? I mean, they, they had every intent of taking us down, all right? And we weren't going to let that happen. I mean, we were coming full force, everything at them, looking for the win. And so you go into this room, and you get into this room with all of these obstacles and mazes and things to hide behind, and you got all your gear on. Well, when the horn sounds, right, and the music starts playing, the game begins. And I just got to tell you again, I, I was all about the victory. And so when that horn sounded, I was like Rambo First Blood Part 2, right? You know, not Part 1. That's a, he's a little creepy in that one. But in Part 2, there's a mission, right? I mean, he is out to set the captives free. And so this game started, and for the next 15 minutes, like you work hard, and you're diving and rolling and moving around corners, and you've got your laser, right? And the, the whole goal is to zap the enemy. I remember this one time I came around this corner and I zapped this kid and he was immediately like, I'm not playing anymore. And I'm like, yeah, don't be a baby. You're playing, right? And I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. I'm like, yeah, you're playing, right? And I just, I just got points, you know, off you. And so eventually the game ended, right? And we won. I mean, we just creamed them. And again, you got to try it sometime, you know, but again, it's all about what happens between the horns. And so there's the start and there's the stop, and there's the living, and there's the mission that you're on in the in-between. You know, we all, every single one of us, have a start date and an end date. It's just true. We have a start date and an end date. And unless Jesus returns before we die, I mean, we will, we will one day, well, life as we know it on planet Earth will, will come to an end. But, but what we do in the in-between matters. All right, and that's what James is after. He is saying, don't forget who you are. You are here on earth for a reason. He's saying, you know what, I know you may be going through difficult times, but you know what, every difficult time is an opportunity to grow in your faith. You may have given up on God. He's not given up on you. Keep going, keep moving, keep trusting, realizing one day the horn will sound, but it all is about what you do between the horns. These matter, and so until then, we have a purpose James says, for us, we have a purpose. There are people to reach. There are people to be discipled in your life. There is a love to share. There's a message to share. There's generosity to extend. Again, there are things that we can control in the in-between, and there are things that we can't control. But as we live in the in-between, James says, keep your focus on what's coming. Not chasing the next big thing, but you trust God. You keep persevering because Jesus will return. That's why he says again in verse 8, he says, be patient 
and stand firm. Perseverance is patience stretched out. That's what it is. It's faith stretched out. And so James says, stand firm. Again, no matter what you're going through, remember who you are in Christ. Make obedience to Jesus Christ your goal. And no matter what you're going through, keep abiding in Jesus. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. And you know what? Each time James makes a, mentions a, a significant, if you would, uh, pattern of behavior in his letter here, he almost immediately turns and provides an example, a regular human reaction that has the ability to tear it all apart. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, you know what? Don't grumble against one another either, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. And remember, the judge is standing at the door. And I don't know what was happening here. I, I, I wonder if James got copied in on an email or something or somebody forwarded something to him. But, but somehow something was getting back to James, this news about fighting and complaining and arguing maybe amongst these Christians. And so notice again that he says brothers and sisters. He, he's specifically talking to Christians. And so it's like he's saying, hey, don't get up caught up in fighting, especially about dumb, stupid things. He, I think you say, you know, don't, don't you know that Satan loves division? He loves to tear things apart. He knows as much as anyone how quickly uh, division or, or, or arguing about these things can distract you and, and ultimately keep us from, from thinking about the most important things. He says, remember the judge is at the door. Jesus, or put another way, that the coming of the Lord is near. That should be both comforting and that should be convicting to us at the same time. I couldn't help but think this past week, I wonder what James would say to us as Christians in the American church today if he'd have similar words like quit arguing and bickering with one another all the time. Quit being divisive with your brother and sister. I wondered if he said quit complaining about each other, about programs, about how loud the music is. Quit jumping around from church to church all the time, you know, looking for the one more thing or the next thing or, you know, I'm looking for what I want or what I think is, is right. I think James would say you're missing the point. He would say Jesus is the point. And what, what we tend to do is you, you make your, your so-called Christian life about all of the wrong things because like, it's not about you. I mean, the thing for us is it's not about me. It's not about us. We were made for God. We're, on, we're here on earth for the Lord. And I think James would say it's about your relationship with him. It's about the work that you've been called to as disciple makers. And do you know what else I think? He'd say just you need each other. Stick together. Don't let fighting and division and sin tear you apart. Stick together. Genesis, we've got to stick together. All right? We've got to encourage one another. We've got to We've got to keep our eyes on what's most important. We need to make it our goal to practice love and forgiveness and encouragement and patience one another. Let's keep our eyes on what matters most. Jesus is coming again. There is work to do that should be both convicting and comforting to us, but let's not chase, well, let's not chase the, the wrong things, these things that lack eternal significance. And like Christians, then again, we, we need each other. Jesus is the point. There's work to be done. Let's, let's work together. Let's stay focused on the mission that we've been called to. Finally, James returns to a reality before we close uh, that each of us faces. And we talked about the reality of pain and struggles week one. We all go through them. Remember who James is writing to and what they're experiencing, what life must be like. A lot of uncertainty. And we don't have time to cover each of these remaining verses, but for the next few verses, James goes on to remind us that pain is a difficult part of life, that everyone goes through it. And as we talked again about the beginning of the series, that God, God he doesn't waste our pain, right? He wants to use our pain, and he could use it for the good if we'll let him, and he cares. 
and he's there to help for us. But James, he's going to end, he's going to end this letter with an important reminder for his friends and for each of us. Really the, the key to persevering, like the key to making your faith last all boils down to this. But before we read those words together, I wonder who of you here today is in trouble right now? And struggling, you know, I mean, maybe there's something weighing on your mind that's causing you to lose sleep. Uh, maybe you're anxious over the unknown right now. Maybe stressed at what is before you. Maybe you're dif- dealing with a, a difficult ex or a difficult child or spouse right now. Maybe, maybe you find yourself in a dangerous situation. I, I wonder if there's anyone here today who is sick. And right now, you know what, you're, you're in a crisis of sorts or you've got somebody that you love in your life that's going through an ongoing chronic sort of an illness. Maybe you recently found out you have cancer or somebody that you love dearly has cancer. Uh, anyone here lost or lonely right now, depressed or forgotten? These are, these are tough questions, right? And let's be honest, they're tough because they remind us that the reality of this world is tough and, well, they remind us that no matter how much we, we plan, that we, we never know what tomorrow holds. And and the truth is, the fact is that if you're not going through tough times right now, you will. We, we all do. But with the reality of pain and uncertainty before us and before these Christians 2,000 years ago, can we just let James' closing words here be our great hope and our great encouragement for where we go from here for the rest of our time here on the earth. And so as we've done all through this series, I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. And I want to read just uh, five of these verses here as James closes. They'll be on the screen. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. They speak for themselves. Let's read them out loud together. James says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Will you read that last sentence with me again? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James says this, our most powerful tool, the most powerful tool that you have today, followers of Jesus, Genesis Church, any of you really, is to pray, to pray. Prayer is the key to abiding in Jesus. Prayer is the key in staying relationally connected to Jesus. And James says prayer is the way through. As a church, as leaders, as connection groups, as friends, and on our own, he says prayer is the most important thing in your life. Keep praying, keep trusting, Stop chasing the next thing so that you can stay focused on the one thing that matters the most, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, will you help us keep our eyes fixed on you and pray. And as we pray to grow in strength and hope and faith for whatever this life may hold. And thank you for your promises that your word is true that you are good, that you love us, that you will guide and direct us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.